This is the AV Podcast Games Edition. Hello and welcome to the AV Forums Gaming Podcast for the month of February. Uh, this is the first proper podcast of the year. Hope you enjoyed our review of 2012 last month. Uh, but this month we've got lots of juicy news stories for you. Uh, so we'll get straight into it. Uh, joining me as always is Mark. Hello, Mark. All right, Steve. And Steve, how are you? Fine, thanks. And of course, Leon, how are you? Pretty good, yourself? Uh, top draw, mate. Uh, so, Sony have announced a press conference for the 20th of February, uh, just a few days away from when we're actually recording this podcast. Fellas, what do we think? Is this uh, going to be the big announcement of a new console, or is it something uh, incredibly boring, like, I don't know, PS2 backwards compatibility or something? Better not be for Mark, their sake. Mark, you're... Uh, the Sony fanboy uh, elect when you're not um, dressed up as Zelda. Uh, what's the inside track on this one? Um, well, it just seems to be there's there are too many murmurings of sources and the like that, and different people saying that it, it, it literally has to be now. Um, the fact that there also there's going to be a live stream. It's it's got to be a significant announcement. Um, and so I think pretty much everyone's on board as, as assuming that it's got to be the the PS4 unveiling at least of the console, if if not anything else. About time though, don't you think? Yeah, but I think, you know, console life cycles, I think it all ties into how much money's gone in R&D and, you know, they've, they've ploughed so much into the PS3 and, and the amount that it costs to start with and the amount of losses that they're making on each unit, I think you know, this generation always had to last a little bit longer um, but yeah, fingers crossed we get something solid and some solid information. So what sort of rumours are we hearing? Uh, obviously it's going to be technically a, a superior machine to the last uh, last generation. Um, Leon, you've been reading up just before we came on air? Um, yeah, I've been reading up those wonderful teraflop figures that you get. Just just how many teraflops more can we expect? Um, apparently it was 1.83 teraflops, according to one of these articles while I was reading. But th- this is the problem when it's this time of year. It's just you don't really know what to believe and the rumours are coming from everywhere. So it'll be good to have some solid information. Um, well, li- listen, as I said off air, you know, this podcast has never been the kind that would blind anyone with science. Um, but more powerful graphics is uh, is certainly going to be the benchmark. And there has been some leaked specs of both the Xbox uh, next generation console and, of course, this new PlayStation. And it looks like the, the PlayStation seems to have the edge when it comes to graphic performance. Yeah, the PS3 had the edge on the Xbox as well, though. Um, I think with all its cell processors and stuff, um, it was it was ahead on power, but ultimately it depends more on like the developer support, and they, they found it hard to develop on the PS3, so I think that's more of a, an issue. If the new PlayStation is as develop, difficult to develop for as the PS3 was, then they could get into the same problem where not as many games run as well, or the problems that like Oblivion and Bethesda games have had, that sort of stuff. Um, th- I think that's more of the issue. The PC elite are already going to be looking down their nose at this and saying, well, you know, my uh, my gaming rig is still going to absolutely crap on um, these new consoles. But even PC gamers should probably be excited because this console is going to have more RAM. And that, of course, means that 
developers can now make more you know expansive and uh, demanding games because consoles have always been the, the the baseline so you have to code your game to work on, on whatever generation of console is, is sitting on top and that was the xbox and playstation now if the bars raised technically then that should mean that you know we get more expansive games across the board eight gig of ram apparently the new xbox and four gig of ram for the supposed ps4 so that's yeah, quite I mean, beefy yeah definitely i mean f- People would argue that you know four gig is more than enough to uh, run a decent PC, let alone eight. Um, but as RAM is so cheap these days, everyone goes with eight gig or above. Um, so I mean, putting the technical stuff aside for just for the minute, I mean, what what would you want to see from a, a next generation console? I mean, what's what's the very basics it must have at this stage? The one thing that I'm feared about most is that it still has to have a disk tray. It can't go for these online download things only. Do you know what I mean? Streaming services and downloading games is still it's too young. It's it's not ready just yet. Um, you know, especially for people you know where I live and people up and down the country, the the infrastructure is just not ready for download. You know, download content's fine. You know, little games and add-on packs and things like that. But I don't think the country's ready for you know fully downloaded games. So as long as it's I, you know, it's, I agree. And ISPs as well have got to change their sort of terms and conditions because. Many people are limited. You know, if you only get 30 gig of download allowance a month, you buy three or four games in a monthly period. There's no way you're going to be able to download them and still use your your internet connection for everyday stuff. Oh, exactly. And there's, there was that whole debate about people who buy things online. If you buy a download copy of a game, you still have the right to go on and sell it. So, you know, there's retail laws in there. It's getting, you know, it's messy. So there's people saying that if you have a code for your game to download it you should still be able to sell that game because it's yours so you're not limited to it just being a one-time thing so there's a lot of sort of you know sticky situations there and things that still need to be resolved before we say yeah we can chuck all these games that you're on there because like people are just going to find ways around the system and you know they're going to end up getting money out of people and it's just going to I think it'll just go backwards on them at this point in time and until like you say until ISPs you know give more affordable and more flexible internet packages and the infrastructure's there for like, you know, the BT Infinite and the fibre optic cables and things like that. I think we just need to be careful how quick we push these sort of cloud cloud systems and download but downloadable games. But even that games. aside, you know, people used to love the fact that they could go into a store and buy their game, but crucially that they could trade it in. And we're hearing strong rumours that both Microsoft and Sony are going to make it so that games will come with a code that you have to enter which will tie that game to your account and it won't be able to be sold on. So therefore they are killing the second-hand market and uh, protecting all those juicy profits that they uh, <laughs> they, they like that much. Um, how do you feel about that? I mean, I, I know I've said in the past, you know, I'm over it. I'm a Steam gamer now and I don't really care about resale. Um, but you guys, you know, not quite on the same page as me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on record now and say I don't think that's ever gonna happen. I really don't think. You know, everyone always gets a little bit jumpy every time a, a new console comes out because they see some of these patents that have been registered and they've been around for quite a long time. All these ideas that, you know, obviously both of the big manufacturers are going to be looking at ways they can curtail that money going away from developers and from themselves, but. I just can't see how they can do that. You know, it's it's biting the hand that feeds. There'd be too much of a backlash. You really think so? I mean, if you were in charge uh, over at uh, Sony or MS at this point, you'd probably be thinking the same thing, though, right? Yeah, but, I mean, it's it's 
it's recycled kind of uh, it's a recycled economy it's people trade in and people trade up the second that you try to stop that completely you know it's like kind of trying to change the second-hand car market or something it's it's there for a reason and I, I just I really don't see how they can shift things quite so significantly I mean we've seen kind of baby steps in that direction with things like online passes and the like and that's because it's it's that upkeep you know if you want to keep servers open then I understand that there's going to have to be a price paid for that but um, you know doing that for games that could be just like a single player experience or something like that that you then can't just trade it in you know it just seems kind of draconian you know what I can totally see them doing it I can see them doing it and then this huge big uproar and then then maybe backtracking Leon what do you think am I right um, I can't see them doing it myself. I think not only would it just be them being unreasonable, I think it, it, would, it would kind of kill game. Think about how the high street is nowadays. Game, pre-owned games are keeping game afloat. I mean, them, their margins on them are absolutely huge. So the second they took away that trade from them, those guys would go under straight away. And I think that alone, with them not having a place to put their hardware in and upsell all of their products. And, and like Mark says, it's Second-hand games fuel new game sales. How many people buy new games with tradings of second-hand games? It would, it would wreck the economy, and I, I don't think they're willing to take that risk. Interesting. Okay, well, let's uh, let's dial it back a bit. Um, still, you know, sticking to features that we want to see. Um, Leon, what, what's the very basic things you want to see from a next-gen console at this stage? I want them to just nail the interface first of all. I need, I need them both to to just really concentrate what they've been doing. Microsoft needs to dial back the adverts and stuff like that, and PlayStation needs to get better at all the extra little bits and bobs that Microsoft have added. And Let me just jump in there at that point. Anyone who's got an Xbox Gold account, they pay for that service. So why are they seeing ads all over the dashboard? That's a very good question, one, one that you just can't answer. Um, and full credit know. to Sony. Sony's services is free. Of course, you do have um, PlayStation Plus if you want it, but at no time do you ever see any external adverts on that XMB. But people would argue that Xbox Live is just simply a better, better service than PlayStation. I mean, PlayStation Plus has crafted something completely different, and they've taken that notion of like an online experience and paying for online to mean something completely different. But... A lot of people, if you ask them, are they happy with how Xbox Live works? They generally say yes, even though they pay £40 a month to, to do so. Yeah, and all that advertising cash, Microsoft must be rolling in it. Uh, let's talk about 4K. That seems to be um, the big buzzword. Uh, Phil and the team were over in um, Las Vegas at CES last month, and there was 4K TVs everywhere. I think, first of all, we need to nail 1080p, 60 frames a second, and I'd be happy enough. I mean, we're we're getting towards the end of this console generation, and I'm still seeing screen tear in in PS3 games and and things like that. You know, I I want them to nail things being smooth first, and then I'll I'll be happy enough with the greater resolution because it's it's the standard. Every time people get wowed by screenshots of first gen games, you know, on a next set of consoles, it always looks great in screenshots and, and you've got that increased resolution and, and better quality textures and that kind of thing, but often they just run like kind of buggy dogs, they they're just they can be so poor and I it does really great with me that I'm still seeing, you know, kind of V-Sync problems this late in the generation I totally agree and I've said this before, you know, we don't even really have 4K as a vi viable gaming uh, resolution on, on PC, so there's no way that these consoles are going to be able to offer any kind of um, genuine performance at 4K. Maybe uh, 4K upscaling, that could 
possibly be something we'd see. But um, I would, you know, really stress: don't be sucked in by any kind of marketing uh, ploy about 4K and how this is going to be the thing that delivers. Because Sony's biggest um, feature for me when the PlayStation first came out, the PlayStation 3, was it had Blu-ray. So you know, it, it made sense to pick it up just for that alone, really. Um, but I'm not sure it's going to be able to have the same thing with 4K this time round. Think about it. How many people are going to have 4K tellies when it comes out? Well, the thing is, I work in video production. And back in my early career, I worked in film and TV. And I, at one stage, I worked at a, a film lab. And at this film lab, we mastered feature films for um, for Hollywood and, you know, various other uh, countries bollywood movies and all kinds of stuff uh, and we had a very big movie in uh, it was a film about wizards shall we say young wizards and i remember having a conversation with um, the colorist the colorist is a guy that basically puts together the look of the movie and they had big secure fingerprint readers and locks on all the doors and stuff so it was a controlled area only a few people could go in and I saw the colorist one day in the kitchen area and I said to him oh you know how's the movie going blah 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 is it all in 4k you're that you're working from and he said no 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 no. 2k he goes no one no one does anything at 4k uh, it's just too expensive and of course, you've now got cameras that can shoot um, the Epic, the Red Epic, for example, can shoot at 5K. That's no problem. But when it comes to special effects work, everything tends to be done at 2K just because it's so much more expensive to be working in high, high resolutions. So even then, even if they were to make 4K sets and monitors you know, affordable in the next year, I just don't believe the content's going to be there. Um, I was just going to say, I think if you think of the costs that it takes to make these AAA games now... Um, the resources are already spiraling out of control, and I just can't imagine them like times in that by five, like Mark says. Let's just nail 1080p at this point. Yeah. Um, but it's it's kind of it's kind of like the um, the Nintendo kind of strategy. You know, they never really are the ones to push the specs. They're always on the gameplay side of it, and I see a lot more of that in Microsoft and Sony this time. I I would like to think that you know graphics can only go so far. We've all seen the new, the new Unreal Engine. It looks great, but. I'd, I'd like to see them just dial it back a bit and concentrate more on gameplay and just doing what they do well rather than trying to push the edge all the time. Oh, I, t- I totally agree. And I, I do think on that front, they will deliver. I think if you're a console gamer now, um, you will be pretty blown away by what 1080p really should be. As Mark mentioned earlier, you know, added textures and um, lighting effects, that's what really is going to make 1080p that much of a, a richer experience. Um, so that's probably something to look out for. What do we think about price? Uh, because, you know, not everyone's been particularly well off these last few years. The economic downturn has probably hit everyone in, in one way, shape or form. Um, how keenly do you think this is going to have to be priced to get people out and parting with their cash? Um, well, first of all, I don't think we'll hear about that until, you know, probably E3 kind of time. Um and when it does come out, I, I think we'll probably be looking kind of. I can't see how it how it can go over three fifty. I think you know three four nine. That I was going to say like four hundred definitely is just too much. That's way too much. It is. So three fifty, obviously a little bit better, but still to me, I don't I don't know if that's going to get a lot of sales early on. I think it needs to be two nine nine. That just that just sounds you know that two nine nine is just. Well, there are just the right number. I mean, there are kind of murmurings that perhaps they're not going to go 
all out into the, this kind of graphics arms race with these quotes about different playing options and that kind of thing and with Sony's acquisition of Gaikai and <coughs> potential for streaming I think you know they're perhaps early signs they might be thinking a bit more outside the box now um, and uh, you know the interesting thing for me will be not necessarily just whether they can price it at the right point to to try and kind of compete with Nintendo being at, always seen at the lower end of the market but what happens with things like controllers and uh, you know the subscription model and that kind of thing because it's not just the initial price it's also the things that add on as well you know all your accessories and, and how you're going to pay for for subscriptions you think Sony might change their their way of pricing their sort of online I do I, I just think PlayStation Plus has kind of just sh shifted the emphasis slightly it's, it's given people a, a different way of looking at how they buy content and I, I do think if if you want to get that uh, smooth um, more social experience with things like cross game chat and the like uh, and the Xbox Live Gold just does really set the standard. I, I still think um, you know you can quibble over dedicated servers all you like, but I just think as a, as a social aspect to gaming and the fact that there's murmurings that perhaps Sony want to push this one more as a media hub. I think they've got to get that that side of it perfect, and for that I, I think they've got to introduce some kind of a, a standard rate subscription. I suppose if you come up with a, a deal with Netflix or you know someone who's already got the content there. Um, it kind of becomes a much more attractive option, doesn't it? Oh. Anyone use Netflix? Is anyone a, a Netflix subscriber? I was when it was free. <laughs> and then after the month I stopped using it. Doesn't quite make you a subscriber, I'm no. afraid, mate. And my internet connection shot, so it didn't really work. That's a very good point, yeah. It's a very, I don't blame you. Everything's ahead of its time for me. Leon, Netflix sounds like the kind of thing you you, you seem sort of the guy that would be forward thinking enough to stream your content. Um, yeah, no, just don't use Netflix or the film or anything like that. Yeah, interesting. So maybe maybe you know if we're, if we're going to decide that we are the mean average of the uh, of the entire country, maybe streaming is not such a big deal. Uh, I mean, it is, and obviously it's going to be like the future. Um, I wonder if I wonder if just an offhand comment. I wonder if they're actually going to do anything with Gaikai or anything like that, or do any kind of on livey type of integration. That would be interesting. Someone fill us in uh, on Gaikai and, and you know the 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 purchase by Sony and um, and what it might mean going forward. Well, it was basically just essentially a similar company to OnLive. They did a they had a similar sort of product where they would stream gaming to you, and your all the power was on the server end, and you were just sending the inputs up and down your internet connection. So, who knows if they're going to do any sort of PlayStation Plus? Maybe that's a, a premium feature of that or something like that. That might be interesting. You know what would be cool? That you could play games off your console so for example if you had a vita or um you know some kind of mobile device but your console back at home could be doing all the console uh grunt all the heavy lifting and then you're playing um out on the road that would be a cool thing i was just going to say this is one thing that people have kind of been mooting is whether this uh con new controller might have a share button on it where you can share content and whether sony are in fact looking into that whole kind of mobile ecosystem and, and sharing content between different devices and so you know that's that's something that I've always wanted to see and so it, it would be very interesting whether they kind of try and limit it like Apple do 
you know between their own little kind of mini ecosystem or would they kind of open it out now that you know you've got uh sony android smartphones and that that? are we at a point now where we've got android tablets and phones and you know various other platforms that it just needs to be done through apps now we need to kind of transcend this idea that you know sony or microsoft or apple can build this walled garden that we're just going to commit to and and pile money into just saying that you can you can already get yourself you like your smart glass apps and there's like the playstation app now where you can go on <clears> like you view your profile and your friends online so we're kind of the barriers have been broken down, so to speak. So, yeah, you know, that's getting... right. I mean, look, you know, if I've got an iPad, why why can't I just put some kind of special Sony Gaikai app on my iPad and, and, you know, play off my console, which is living underneath my living room TV? But because my son wants to watch um, some kind of nonsensical CBeebies rubbish, I get to uh, be forced out of my own living room. If I've got my pad, then I can uh, carry on playing. I could just buy a Wii U. Very true. <laughs> Very true. I knew it would sneak into the conversation somewhere this month. Uh, okay, let's go round, everyone. Let's uh, let's get some predictions then. Seeing as Sony are calling this the future of PlayStation, uh, let's just see exactly where everyone thinks that might lie. Uh, Mark, what do you think they got in store for us then come the 20th? Uh, something to do with streaming. I will go with um, possibly talk about revolutionising the controller because I think that, that design has... It's it's run its course now. I, I Is it the same as a PS2 one, more or less? It's well, it's basically just all just had add-ons from the PS1 days. You know, right. it's just kind of slowly built up. You've got the analog sticks there now. You know, you've got the the dual triggers and everything, and then you get rumble, and now you've got tilt, and they just keep adding things to it. Whereas when the PS3 came out, that kind of strange batarang style controller. Um, that everyone got up in arms about without ever actually trying. You know, there were early reports that it was in fact supposed to be far better in terms of um, ergonomics. And the, the great kind of criticism I'd have of, of the Sony controllers is that after a while it does tend to give me and a lot of other people reportedly kind of hand cramps. You got you got big hands or small hands? Just nice hands. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> That's the cagiest answer ever. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> medium-sized hands. I've, I've Do you never have all your fingers? <laughs> yes, I have all my fingers, thank you. Two thumbs? Uh, yes, just the two. Uh, what do we think about a killer feature, Mark? What, what do you think uh, might be the unique selling point this time around? Oh, um, <clears throat> killer feature. I just, I just think it's got to be something to do with interconnectivity. I think even though we've got all these different boxes that can run Netflix and all the, that kind of thing, I think if somehow the sharing of content, if you can tie it in with this kind of mobile market and the fact that so many people are, are kind of playing games on, on tablets, on, on smartphones and that kind of thing, which is kind of where the Wii U's gone, where Nintendo have aimed to try and stop those people so that they can watch TV and play games at the same time. If you can kind of integrate that to take gaming away from just being, you know, I'm taking over the TV now for the next three hours type experience. I think that's that's the way they'll go. Leon, what do you think? Um, you haven't. I don't think you even got a PlayStation Three uh, this generation, did you? No. I don't. So what you what's Leon going to need to see this time round on the PlayStation Four, whatever that may be, to get you to part with your cash? Uh, it's going to be about the games for me. I mean, it can be as powerful as you want it to be, but 
the reason I didn't buy PS3 was there weren't any games that particularly compelled me. It never reached that kind of peak. There were always, there was always a game that I was like, oh, I want to play that, but it never snowballed into me buying a console. So I need to hit it hard with the games. Um, killer feature? What do you think it might be? Um, I don't know. I think if they if they are intent on having a handheld console, which they apparently are, um, the Vita, then maybe they should actually use it and tie it in in some way to the PS4 and really make 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 a good go with the Vita. Come on, you may as well do it. So they're doing nothing. It's got no games. Use it as like an extra control pad. Really integrate it. Do some of that Wii U stuff. That's got to be in there. That's just begging to be done, really. Well said, that man. Uh, Steve, let's uh, let's hear your take on it. I think the most important thing, obviously, we won't know till later on, is the price, but obviously, like, the power and, you know, I want it to be a significant step up from what we've got now, so, you know, similar to what you can expect from a sort of PC rig and things like that, so, like we said earlier, say 60 FPS and 1080p steady for everything as a benchmark, every game that comes out needs to have that, it needs to, you know, be powerful, needs to look better than what we've got now, because obviously if it's just going to be a tiny little bit better, there's probably no point to it. But I think the killer feature of it will probably be, for all intents and purposes, I think the next generation of consoles are just going to be basically PCs. So I think, you know, it's going to be a sort of thing where you can do pretty much everything you need on one sort of thing, on, like, the console. So, like, you're more in- integrated web browsing, sort of, like, possibly some sort of, like, processing, sort of, you know, like, word processing thing on there. So you can do everything from one thing. So, like, Sony and Microsoft are obviously players in the sort of laptop and PC market, so I think we're going to see something like that and be a sort of... Divergence one, of uh, yeah. all, all devices. Yeah, And I think, yeah. you know, some sort of, like, even further with Sky and things like that, you know, and BT Vision and things like that, I think you're going to get more, more like, sort of live TV and TV streaming on there, so it's going to, you know, kill off having the Sky box set under your under TV as well, so I think that's where that's where we're headed these days. Hey, that would be a cool feature because um, you know Sky Skyboxes do have uh, network connectivity now, so something that could interface with that, you know, something that could be like a a playback machine for your your Sky HD hard drive, that would be very cool. All involves deals, though, doesn't it? All involves deals. Uh, my prediction, I would just like to see some kind of. Um, way of playing um my console when i'm out and about on the road that would be very cool um yeah that would be interesting um price i don't think it even really matters at this stage but 299 that would definitely get me down the shops no 525 quid like last time then was that what it was Mm, get two jobs he said wow was that what it was goodness me did anyone buy it at launch? Uh, well, I guess Mark, that's the only person I can direct that question. Uh, Mark, did you buy it at launch? How dare you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't, actually. No. You, you, didn't, you didn't go dressed as um, Solid Snake from uh, Metal no, Gear Solid or some no, other equally no Sony... Up. <laughs> and no pre-order. I'm trying to think. When I, I, I've got my Sony PS3 because it came free with my television. So uh, that's kind of, yeah, a bit of a cop-out. Well, no, I say that. My telly was a £1,000 when I bought it. And this was like way, way back, maybe five years ago. So um, I guess it was a good deal at the time. But it was Blu-ray. Blu-ray was such a killer thing about it. You know, everyone who had a DVD player, it was such an unglamorous thing to go and buy a standalone Blu-ray player. So buying a console which had it built in, it totally justified getting one. 
at least that's the way I viewed it and a lot of my, my friends and peers did. So I just don't see where it has that, that feature this time around. And trust me, 4K is not the, the buzzword right now that everyone thinks it is. Maybe in three, three four years' time, but not right now. It really isn't. 3D will save us all. <laughs> EA are back in the headlines. Um, microtransactions seem to have creeped their way into Dead Space 3, and uh, many people are up in arms about it, saying that they're paying twice on a premium product. Um, is it much ado about nothing? Um, Leon, I gather you're reviewing the game for the site at the moment, so we're not going to go in too much detail about um, actual gameplay. But uh, how do we feel about this, microtransactions in games? I mean, I, I guess it's fine if it's a free-to-play game, but a game that we're already paying 40 quid for, is, is, is this right? Um, I don't know about is it right. It depends on is it right for you. Um, I think what their defence is that it's all about time. You know, if people don't have the time, because what they're offering are basically ways to cut down on time for looking for resources and things that you would find around the world and just putting time into the game would give you certain things so you can craft weapons and stuff like that so if you don't have the time to do all that then you can just PA some money and boom there you go you've got everything that you need um, it's not new though I mean they've been doing it in like sports games and I know Need for Speed has time saver packs where it just unlocks all the cars for you um, sports, to me, sports always... Interactive did it this year with a football manager actually you can pay real money and get perks in games or yeah in some cases i think you can even pay real money and get a bigger transfer budget in the game just seems weird yeah i mean to me it's just completely opposite to how i play games i mean i just i do it for the satisfaction of completing those things and i enjoy putting my time into it and i've played dead space 3 and i haven't paid any money towards it and i've got as many weapons as i want and it's just because i'm one of those people who looks in every nook and cranny and i derive pleasure from that so i why would I pay you to take away what I'm actually going to this game for? Um, so I, I'm, it's not for me, but who am I to say that somebody doesn't want to give EA their money? I think it's a silly idea, but it's your money. You can do what you like with it. Well, I guess we all grow up with um, we all grew up with cheat codes and um, you know walkthroughs and things like that. I suppose it's just kind of an extension of that, but I suppose the difference is is that someone's profiting from it this time. Yeah, I mean it. It just kind of changes how much or how you want to play a game i mean every time something like this comes out as with you know you said about cheat codes and that kind of thing or walkthroughs someone says well there's a right way and a wrong way to play a game but you know if you're extremely low on time you want the experience and you know games are getting far more cinematic you just want to get to the end you want to have the satisfaction of you know the basic gameplay sure but you want to see all the cutscenes. you want to see the story unfold then i can understand why these are in there um, the, the trouble is, is that we've traditionally seen these in the kind of freemium type um, model. You see them in, you know, freeware. So it, it's it's a way of generating money when you're not making that money up front. EA are clearly, obviously, making that money up front, which is, I suppose, what's really kind of upset a few people. It it just kind of makes me chuckle a little bit. I mean, where do you draw the line? You know, if someone's sort of time poor, but they want to, you know do well at the game you know where do you draw the line do you pay a tenner for complete god mode or do you pay 20 quid and they'll just you know let you watch the end end cut sequence and that will be it it just seems a weird thing to be paying money to make the game shorter ultimately yeah but i mean we we have seen this with with other games in certain ways i mean look at say uh games where you get 
if you pay for the limited edition or something like that you get access to certain weapons straight away I mean I, I remember um, when I got Deus Ex uh, I, it came with a code for you know the extra missions and you get I think it was a shotgun or something I, I didn't bother actually using it until I'd got pretty much the end of the game and then I unlocked it and found that it was a pretty devastatingly powerful weapon you know and, and it, that could have changed the way that I played the game completely so you know they already offer these kind of things you know access to certain vehicles and that kind of thing anyway well of course this story took a bit of a turn for the um, more interesting shall we say when um, an exploit turned up where gamers found that they could actually get the items they wanted um, without having to pay money and this kind of takes it into a, a bit of a grey area because I suppose some people could argue that that was theft. I mean, that, ex that exploit, they've come out and said that they're not going to change that and that it's intentional or something like that. So, yeah, it seems like a little bit of a backdoor where basically you go into an area, loot it of all the things, go out, go back in again, and everything's respawned. Um, but I, mean, I don't know, that's... That's not a problem for me either. I mean, I played Resident Evil 5 like that. I, I wouldn't have completed that game. I sat and did the same level like 20 times just to get the heart so that I'd have enough money to buy the best weapon in the game. That's just, again, it's. I, I think it's all fair in single player. Couldn't you, uh, you, know, you could if, do a kind of weird little inventory exchange as well in Resident Evil 5. Oh yeah, there was there was a whole thing with like eggs and swapping things and they'd stay in your in inventory and stuff like that. But little quirks like that, I mean, especially when it's all about replayability, I don't have a problem with. But let's say if they're selling the best sniper rifle in Call of Duty for like ten pounds, then okay, now I have a problem with it because you're ruining the balance of sure, the game. Of course, and yeah, of course. It, it shouldn't go that way. But single player, I think you know, it's it's like open world games. Saints Row, you could just buy the keys to the city and stuff and just unlock everything. Yeah. If you want to do that in your game, then be my guest it doesn't affect me but i think multiplayer is my kind of divide yeah true yeah but i suppose the free-to-play model the the mmo um free-to-play model where you do play uh, pay money to get bump ups or uh, upgrades or whatever that kind of is where this thing has its roots no yeah, i mean if it's free to begin with then i think microsoft and jackson's are just a completely different option at right, that point okay. then I'm much more open to it but if like people say you're paying 40 quid for dead space and if they were offering you know just jump to the end for 10 quid then that wouldn't be reasonable but it's a 40 pound game and you can play it as that you don't need to put this money in it's it's a complete option that you can just ignore um, a free to play game then yeah I mean it's like games on Android and stuff I'll play the free version and if they generate enough love for me then I'll chuck them a couple of quid because I think that they deserve it so you know I'm, my pocket is more open to that sort of suggestion. And you know what? This probably wouldn't have been as such a big deal if it wasn't EA. If it had been another games developer or games publisher, um, they probably wouldn't have got as much flack as EA. Possibly true. It's possibly true. The big dog. Everybody likes to hate the big guy. Um, but it's, it's not new. That's, this, is, this is what I don't understand. This has been in so many games. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just because Dead Space is a single-player game. and something, I, I have no idea, honestly. Something you think we can expect more of going forward? I would imagine so. Uh, and just a quick, um, quick insight into uh, Dead Space Three. Is it something? Uh, is it an improvement on the last? What's what's the uh, what's the take so far? Uh, the take so far is good. Um, improvement on the last? Mm, I don't know. It's kind of it's got Mass Effect syndrome, where it starts as one thing at the beginning of the series, and by the end they seem to have gravitated towards action. What is it with all games? Like just gravitating towards an action centre by the third mm. one. It's very strange. Um, but Dead Space does it well. Um, 
it doesn't completely forget where it came from. You know, it's kind of took over Resident Evil's kind of wandering corridors and being alone and getting scared at night type of effect. Um, it still has that, but they have watered it down some. But I'll put it this way. I, I turned it on one day and four hours disappeared. So how, how far into the game are you, do you think? Uh, I'm getting there. Um, I am. There's two discs. I'm on the second disc now. 19 chapters. I'm on about 11 or 12. I have to confess, it was... Uh Dead Space One. I I remember playing it one late one evening, and it absolutely creeped the shit out of me. And I never went back. Should probably do that. Yeah, it still does that. It's still got a good jump scare about it, but it's in space and it's got machines and things that you play with, and you turn things off and on. And I love that sort of stuff. Sold. So the US is apparently going to fund an investigation into uh, violence in games, and you know whether they have any correlation to actual gun violence um, and there was also an article that uh, discussed licensing and the gun industry the weapons industry profiting from from games and um, their inclusion in games and how that would all work yeah it was just a quite an interesting article I mean it's something that you just don't really think about um, I, I was gonna say the easiest way to describe it is the same way that in like a Grand Turismo game or Forza or something they've probably licensed out the cars and they pay fees to all the manufacturers um, it's something quite obvious but that's the same thing happens in Call of Duty um, for Barrett and uh, Heck and Koshler rifles and pistols and that sort of stuff they have to pay those guys royalties um, and it's just quite interesting how the gun lobby and the way the American culture is that there is such it's just such detail when they do this sort of stuff I, I haven't really I do pay quite a lot of attention to the weapons in Call of Duty, but the fact that they literally do model them down to like the pins and that they are licensed out to the manufacturers to look how they look in game, it's just it's quite obsessively interesting. Is probably the way to put it. And what kind of um, you know licensing fees are we talking? I mean, is this big money? Is this you know? Uh, can it be said that the gamer is directly contributing to any kind of perceived gun problem? Um, I mean, it's uh, that's a tenuous link. I mean, there's this is the problem. It's it's all come up in this larger conversation where you know there's been loads of unfortunate shootings in America, and President Obama has looked into investigating the effect of violent video games um, and seeing if they are actually factors in these shootings over in America and how it can be stopped. And everybody has their opinion. Um, can you say that this are we our game is by buying Call of Duty? giving money to the gun firms. Um, I, I guess in a, in a small way they are, but I, I wouldn't say it's really that big of a factor. <laughs> okay, yeah, maybe a bit of a, 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 a long one from, from me there. But all right, how about this? Um, do you think that there is a link between um, guns and games and, you know, violence, massacres, uh, mass shootings? And the reason I ask is because it came up in um, the PC gaming forum recently and people generally seem to be pretty agitated that you know anyone would be trying to to push a link between the two and to me um i was kind of well if they want to investigate it let them investigate it i mean even if there is only you know a tiny tiny percentage of people that cannot separate the real world from this escapism then surely we need to be able to identify those individuals and you know put them on some kind of watch list or, or you know, find a way where we avoid these terrible, terrible incidents from ever happening. Yeah, totally. I agree with you. Um, I would say, do I think that games 
contribute to this violence? I would say they contribute about as much as every other media does. Um, you know, violent films, violent music, all of that sort of stuff can it can affect people in different ways. And I think that concentrating on the individual is probably more important than the media that you think is affecting them. Some people are obviously more susceptible to it than others. And like you say, maybe it warrants further study, but the rest of us shouldn't be made to suffer. But would it, would it ever make us suffer? I mean, let's say they came out tomorrow and said, yes, there is a direct correlation between someone playing Call of Duty and added levels of aggression and in the wrong individuals, maybe, you know, the the motivation to go off and do horrible, horrible things. Would it actually change anything? You know, do you think Activision or EA are going to actually go, oh, wow, you know, we really need to change what we're doing? Or are they just going to go, well, this is how we make our money. This is what we do. I mean, it's no different in Hollywood. So Hollywood aren't going to stop making the kind of movies that they make. End of day, what can they change? It's just, if there is a correlation, you know, they're saying the kids are getting more angry. It's just the parents letting the kids play games too young, isn't it, at the end of the day? There's not a lot that they can change, like you say. There's there's films out there that do a lot worse than what we see in games, and no one's going to stop making like horror films or anything like that, and no one's going to stop making games that push you know touchy subjects and taboo. So I think it's just a case of people they need to clamp down seriously on the people that they're buying the games and make, making sure people aren't playing the games too young. Because at the end of the day, that's what they're saying. It's the kids that they're worried about. It's the parents that are letting the kids play the games that when they're too young. So it's. But I guess it's not kids that are going in and shooting twenty other kids in school. You know, it's it seems to be young men. It seems to be um, young men with issues of some you know sort or another um, that are carrying out these attacks. In fact, interestingly, while you were speaking, I thought of something. I mean, now you rarely get actually you know incredibly violent movies coming out of Hollywood. Surely um, now the big motivation is to get a PG-13 or a 12 rating, so you've got a bigger audience. So I suppose in that respect, maybe things have changed, but with video games, that certainly isn't the case, because does anyone really adhere to age restrictions on on video games? I I think it does make a a difference with regards both games and with films. Um, But because the fact is is that you've got to go in... um, to a cinema to to see a film and so therefore it always seems like there's a stricter limit on that whereas you know you you can just buy a game online and you you know you buy it with someone else's credit card or whatever and when was the last time you saw a site that came up with a with an age box or something like that that said are you 18 to buy this you know this fps or something like that yeah it's and and so therefore it, it doesn't really matter that much that line between have has the BBFC or or Peggy have they given you a 16 or an 18 or something because if anything the the you know that little kind of red 18 mark from the BBFC I think would draw a lot of people towards certain games yeah definitely uh, like I say you know with with cinema with movies what they strive for and we hear about it all the time movies being cut so they can get that 12 certificate and therefore unlock a bigger audience with Call of Duty, would it make any difference? Would it make a difference if they said you've got to be sixty years old with both living grandparents to buy this game? You know, would that still make a difference? People would still find a way of buying it, surely. I, I can ask you a question. Um, I was talking about this with one of my mates, and he asked me this question: Can you name like your top five non-violent video games? Very good, yeah. Or maybe even your top three. Top three for time, but. Very good. I'm going to take Portal straight away. 
Yeah, that's good violent. choice. Yeah, um, that is kind of violent. You destroy machinery and the bots. Yeah, they're not technically people, though, are they? They're artificial intelligence. Yeah, is that no, murder? Yeah, <laughs> no not... respect for space and time. No. Yeah, there's no no people dying though, is there? And you're not no, no blood really. But I can I get the point. I get the point, and it, it, still it firing is, weapons. Yeah, it's something that is. I mean, even well, let's say, look, Portal is one of the best examples of a fairly non-violent game. But even then, it still does involve shooting. Well, true. Okay, flow, flower. Even though I loathe to say those things, do you? It's you know it's it, just it's, it, it's just it's escapism, isn't it? So it just goes hand in hand with every kind of recklessness and extreme you know way of being that you can imagine and and that's why violence is part of it why why it's such a big thing for us to escape into that world i'm not really sure but it's what sells and that's the way the the industry is sorry but there as you say it's escapism there are two schools of thought the first is that in fact it's the games themselves or whatever medium that makes people angry um, and so therefore it's a contributing factor. The second school of thought says that in fact it's, it's a release valve. It's you do this when, you know, the same as you would say hit a punch bag. You don't get more mad when you hit a punch bag. You, you release that energy. Mm. And so therefore people who would think, God, I, you know, kill my boss. You play, you know, whatever it is, uh, Call of Duty or something. You have a bit of mindless mayhem and then it gets it out of your system. That's two different schools of thought. But... Um, you know, with regards to this uh, looking into the links between violence and video games, some people are saying that perhaps it's best that those within the industry don't actually engage because by entering into the talks, you're actually kind of legitimising the view that there is a link between... Yeah, you mentioned you know, this off-air. Uh, but why, why should the industry be so paranoid as to give the, the argument um wait i mean it's just one of those things why would we want to bury our heads in the sand over it because if there's no problem there to begin with and your industry has been the perennial scapegoat and whipping boy of every kind of tabloid frenzy um when no one wants to look at kind of restricting access to the tools that kill and rather you know what someone had on their ipod at the time they were carrying out an atrocity. I think, you know, it's it's fair enough to be just a little bit paranoid that someone might suddenly say, no, we're going to attack what is now. I mean, it's a, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Mm. So, you know, they're, they're probably thinking as much about the bottom line as anything else. Yeah, no, of course. And, you know, ultimately, any kind of step towards solving their problems should be commended. But I guess it does kind of um, ignore the elephant in in the room, so to speak. If the guns weren't there in the first place, then, you know, these horrible things wouldn't have happened. Uh, so one person who hasn't gone out and uh, massacred a load of people after playing a video game is Leon, after uh, reviewing Devil May Cry. Uh, Leon, you didn't feel and go uh, hacking and slashing your way around your local shopping centre. Um, does that mean we shouldn't buy this game? Um, no, um, it was it was quite good. Although Ebony of an Ivory, he does have a few pistols in that game, uh, so it ties in nicely with the guns. But no, Devil May Cry is it's pretty good. It's surprisingly good, actually. Um, I wasn't really expecting a lot from it at all. Um, I didn't play. I, I played a bit of Devil May Cry 4, um, but it wasn't particularly great. And I'm just not a huge fan of the way Devil May Cry used to be. It was very. Very but that's an interesting point because Mark's mentioned this many, many times on this podcast. Um, 
there was uh, some concern, Mark, that um, Devil May Cry was going to be um, a, a bit of a shambles after it was handed over to a Western studio, something which has traditionally been uh, made in Japan by Japanese developers. Um, but it seems to have turned out okay. Yeah, a lot of people were just a bit worried that, um, you know, Capcom, you've got this kind of gaming royalty, this, you know, great developer with a, a long history in this type of game and with traditionally very good uh, art direction in their games with Lost Planet 3M with Devil May Cry they were handing over to to western developers and perhaps they would lose something in the translation that that in fact we should be trying to keep the the distinctiveness of of east and west rather than trying to to pull the the ideas and come up with something that perhaps ends up a little bit more homogenized and in the center so are we at a point where games have transcended um tradition and uh, and stylings that they're just kind of you know these creative uh, uh, concepts that anyone can kind of pick up and drop off i hope so because it's, it's done devil may cry a world of good um ninja theory to be fair um i played a few of their other games um what was the other game that i reviewed that was that ninja theory did um the one that was tales of the west it was with monkey and it what was it called enslaved odyssey that's the one to the West. Odyssey to the West, enslaved. Yes, it was really good. It was a similar sort of game. It was a hack and slash, but what they really did well there was the story and the characters and the um, facial capture and all that sort of stuff and the motion capture. Um, and the gameplay was just kind of iffy. And what Capcom have done, they've come, they've come and they've actually worked with them and put together the Devil May Cry system. So they've, they've brought everything they know about the combat in Devil May Cry and then Ninja Theory have brought all of their sort of characterizations and their environments and just a little bit of flair and just a new style to the series. And it's really come out quite well, to be honest. Um, I, I really enjoyed when I played it. It was four out of five I gave it. Um, and it was kind of, it crept on me. It was one of those games where you'd, you'd start playing it and the controls were a little bit alien and um, they're a little bit crab-like in a way. You have to hold down triggers to, to use one weapon and then press another button at the same time. So it, it was a little tedious to begin with, but once you kind of got into the flow of it, it all became quite fluid. And once you knew what you were doing, by the time I'd finished the game, I actually wanted to go back through it again and kind of exercise the skills that it had taught me all the way through. Um, and like I say, Ninja Theory just, they really bring it on the design side. Go some, some places with Devil May Cry that you really wouldn't expect them to. Um, I don't want to spoil it, but there are some really good levels and environments and sequences in that game, and th they kind of don't take themselves too seriously at the same time. So they kind of have really sort of kept a lot of the themes that those Japanese games um, were happy to sort of throw up there, just do things that are slightly off the wall and a little bit out of the ordinary. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it stays true to the, the storyline. The storyline's the same. It's angels versus demons and spawn of the two um, coming together to save the world. And there's, there's a few twists on how it was before, but ultimately they use they use the modern setting to jump off in different ways into into new areas. And some of, some of the ways that they've designed things are very 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 good and very smart. I would say. I, I just think it's it sounds very much like it's it's actually allayed a lot of people's fears about the kind of. East meets West, which is something that just in recent days we've we've seen a kind of little clashing of heads. I don't know if anyone saw um, Warren Spector said about Lollipop Chainsaw. He was given a little talk and said that some games shouldn't be made, and they flashed up an image of uh, Lollipop Chainsaw, which you know bears the hallmarks of uh, Goichi Suda, Suda Fifty One, who makes very kind of trashy, pulpy, very kind of niche Japanese video games that they've got very much a cult audience here in the west um but that's kind of a, a highlight of 
the kind of thing that I expect to see um, from you know from different regions, and so it's you can understand where people's fears were with with Devil May Cry shifting over to Ninja Theory, but they have a good enough pedigree, and I think Capcom have been smart enough to. You know they haven't simply just farmed these out to to just a developer. They've they've picked people with a decent pedigree in that genre. And, and Ninja Theory with Heavenly Sword and with Enslaved, they've already got um, a, re- a good recent track record in that kind of hack and slash and action adventure genre. Anyway, so you know I, I think it's it's very good and it's perhaps shows the future for where Capcom's franchises can go. So rather than just simply letting them tail off or hitting that kind of Nadir, as they found with perhaps you could argue with Resident Evil, to try and you know inject a bit of fresh blood into them. I was going to ask about that. I mean, surely now Resident Evil needs to be the one that um, gets the same kind of treatment. Please reboot Resident Evil. Just do it. You think? Um, oh, that'd be so good. You think Ninja Theory could be uh, the kind of team to to wave their hand over that, or do you think it needs someone a little bit more uh, adventure um, adventure based? I'd like, you know, the original Dead Space team. Because when Dead Space came out, that was, it felt so much like Resident Evil. It was unreal, the scarce resources and the wandering around on your own. Was it, was it Sledgehammer? I think Sledgehammer? they need to pick somebody specifically for that. Is it Sledgehammer? Is it Sledgehammer? Yeah. Might have been. Possibly, yeah. But they need to pick a developer that is good for Resident Evil because, boy, that needs rebooting. Mm. Oh, oh. Still got a bad taste in Resident Evil 6, man. I'm trying to think what that oh. other bonkers bonkers game that would fit into that um, category of the games you were describing, Mark. Was it Bikini Bikini Samurai? Soft porn meets uh, ultraviolence. Oh, um, on Chambara. That one. That's the one. Yes, that was Girls in Bikinis with Samurai Swords. An awesome concept of a game. <laughs> yeah, but see, that's the kind of thing, you know, people always think that kind of thing, but then out of that occasionally pops up something like Bayonetta, which is absolutely True. insane. And you just think, if that was, if they did that with, say, a Western developer that was listening to some kind of target market and ticking boxes and, you know, using playtesters all the time who said whether they found something offensive or not, the game never would have got past the initial testing stage. Mm. But they, you know, they they followed an artistic direction. They let someone basically, you know, have a bit of fun with an idea and run with it, and it, it produces something like that. You know, there'll be a lot of stinkers if you let this kind of the more auteur system that some some of the Japanese studios follow by letting you know one guy's artistic vision take over. You'll get some stinkers, but you'll get some absolute gems in amongst them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I'd be. It would also be sad to lose that from gaming as well. I mean, we say, you know, one chamber and we laugh about all the crazy games, but there is something I love about that kind of unpredictability and just it's not homogenised and it's not just EA pumping out third-person shooters all the time. It is. You never know what you're going to get and you need some of that. You need a bit of crazy every now and then. It's how innovate. Uh, fellas, any reviews to plug for the month going forward? Mark? Um, yeah, I'll be looking hopefully at Persona 4 Golden on the Vita. It's been a, a long time coming and I managed to resist importing it simply because I didn't want to uh, undermine a publisher that's bringing a, a decent Atlas title to the West. And so, yep, very much looking forward to that one. 
Very good. I was expecting you to say bikini dispatch drivers there, but um, <laughs> obviously that's next month. Uh, Leon, what you got? Um, a few things coming. Obviously, I've got Dead Space still in the works. Uh, of course, yeah. Dead Space 3, of course. Yeah, yeah. So I'll be finishing that, hopefully. Um, Aliens Colonial Marines is next week as well. Interesting. Look forward to talking to that one. Talking about that yeah, one. Yeah, a lot of people are looking forward to that. Um, sneak preview paid the first few hours. Not that great, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I had a feeling you might say that as well. Well, I, I'm not going to judge it. I've literally paid like an hour or so, um, but we'll, we'll give it more of a chance. And l- way, way later in the month is Crisis 3, which I've been playing the beta of. And the multiplayer is interesting, so we'll see what they do with single player. Good stuff. And, and Steve, what have you got? Um, I've got the Wii U version of Aliens Colonial Marines, so obviously me and Lee and I'll be able to see what's happening with that. And then another that could be an interesting one is Metal Gear Rising Revengeance, whatever the hell they want to call it now, and that'll be another uh, interesting of course, one. Yeah, that can so be, yeah, that yeah. one'll be play the demo for that. It won't great, but uh, good luck. Yeah, uh, you see, I haven't played it, so we'll <laughs> we'll, we'll get to it, it when it, when it arrives. And, and you've got Dead Space 3 coming too, so you'll be able to chime in when we talk as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm playing that as well, so yeah, I'll uh, I'll be finished by the time we get round to it. Good stuff. So that brings us to the end of this month's podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Um, next time we, uh, we record, we should be uh, very clear on what Sony's new PlayStation experience is going to be. Um, I've been Steve Hill. Uh, thanks for joining me, Mark. Cheers, Steve. Thanks for joining me, Steve. Cheers. And high fives, Leon. High five. <laughs> I'll see you all next month. See you all content, including sound clips and music, is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Forums podcast is copyright M2N Limited.